Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. If you're using the Bibles that we provide under the chairs, that's page 937. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The word of the Lord. shake the nations and the desired of all nations shall come. What an incredible thing to say, especially uh, to the people whom he was saying it to the people of Israel who'd been uh, given a great task. And certainly they were dealing with a large level of uncertainty. And so they were afraid. They had things that they were fearing. And isn't it interesting that God would providentially have us look at this passage now when a lot of us are going through a time where we're facing a lot of uncertainty. I mean, as a church, obviously, we're facing a good amount of uncertainty about what the future will hold together. But we're also facing uncertainty as individuals. 
lot of us are facing uncertainty when it comes to uh, our health. Maybe we're worried or fearful of what may be happening within our bodies. A lot of us are facing uncertainty when it comes to our own family. Maybe there's something happening that's troubling and we're worried about it. Uh, some of us may be uh, facing some uncertainty as far as school or our job is concerned. So what do you do uh, when you're facing uncertainty to the point that it, it uh, makes you worried? We're looking at Haggai chapter 2 today because we're continuing our sermon series uh, looking at the passages that Handel used when he composed his magnum opus, which we call Messiah. And so it's amazing because what God has said to his people in this text is what he is saying to us right now, his people of today. And it is really profound because what we're going to see today in this text is that because Jesus Christ is Lord, we have an incredible weapon against worry. What we're going to see today is that because Jesus Christ is Lord, the greatest weapon against worry is work. That the harder we work and do what what God has called us to do, the less we're going to worry. Now, that's going to take some unpacking. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we do thank you once again that you have spoken to us uh, in your word and, and most clearly through your son. And so we pray that he would be exalted right now and that you would Uh, Use this time to raise us up to go make disciples of all nations for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first thing we want to see here is that God is the Lord of your past. He's the Lord of your past. He's the Lord of my past. And we see that in the way that he spoke to the Israelites in verses 3 through 5. Now, before we look closer at those verses, let me give you a little context here. Uh, The Israelites had been taken into captivity, and then they were released from captivity, some of them, when they were allowed to go back to the promised land in order to begin to rebuild. You might remember we studied the book of Nehemiah over the summer, and that was the beginning of the rebuilding efforts. Well, those efforts came to a grinding halt. And so Haggai chapter 1, God is saying to his people, uh, get back to work. He's saying to them, you guys are worried about building your own houses. I want you to build my house. And what he's referring to in saying that is the temple. Because the temple was the place where God would dwell on earth. And so he had called his people in the first chapter of Haggai to get back to work building the temple, building the house of the Lord. And then in chapter 2, where we pick up, uh, he is addressing the fact that uh, the Israelites were facing a tremendous amount of uncertainty and therefore were worried. And so look with me at verses 3 through 5. And we need to see first here that the Israelites, many of them, were still alive, they remembered the time when the temple was in its glory. They remembered before the destruction, and they re- what they remembered was something amazing. And so when they looked at the pile of rubble that was there after, they were really worried. How could we possibly ever get it back to be where it was? Look at verse 3. He says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you, or does it not seem to you like nothing? He knows that they're going to be comparing what they had done before with what they were called to do, and it was going to be making them worry. So he tells them to be strong, and he tells them to be be working. But then he does this amazing thing in verse 5. He redirects their attention away from them and who they are and onto him and who he is and what he's done. Verse 5, he says, this is what I covenanted with you 
when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. You see, God wanted them to make sure that when they thought of their story, when they thought of their past, they wanted, he wanted them to know that God is the main character of the story. He didn't want them to think about their past in light of what they had done or what they had been through so much as what he had done. And he's saying the same thing to us. God wants us to, when we think about the past, we need to think about our lives as a church and as individuals, recognizing that God has always been the main character, not us. And I'll tell you what, this is, uh, we have to actually try to do this. I was this week, had the opportunity to stop by the women's Bible study and somebody asked me, uh, tell us the kind of the brief story of your life. And so I told that story from the perspective of the main character, right? This guy. And so I said, well, I was born in Minnesota and I was born into a Christian home and I did this and I did that and I went here and I fell on that. And there was all these things. And I realized then later that day as I was studying this passage, man, I am not the main character of my story. But I think that way a lot. And I think we all tend to do that. And so God is showing us here that he is the Lord of our past. He is the one who's always been up to something, always been working, always been doing things. It's always been about him. And graciously, everything that he's ever been doing in our lives has been pointing us to Christ. So that we would embrace him and hang on to him with everything we've got. So God is the Lord of your past and mine. When we think about our past, we need to let God be the main character, not you and me. He's also the main character in our future. God is the Lord of our future. And we see that in the way he addressed the Israelites here as well in verses 6 through 9. A little more context for you. The Israelites were uh, looking at the task ahead, rebuilding the temple. And one of the things they were probably thinking was, yeah, we don't have any resources for this. Uh, because when Solomon built the temple, Solomon had more money and manpower than you can ever imagine. And so they were able to build this incredibly beautiful thing. And now it's just a remnant of the people. They don't really have any money. They don't really have any way to go get the things that they thought they would need to build this thing. So, of course, they're looking at this job and they're thinking, uh, this is not going to happen. And he does it again. God does it again. He redirects their thoughts. Look at this. All these things that he says in verses 6 through 9, it's all about him. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the nations. I will fill this house with glory. I own all the gold and silver. It's mine. Because he wanted them to be thinking when they're thinking about what they're being called to do. He's the one who's really working. It's really him. It's all about him. It's his story. It's what he's doing. It's his plan. And he's the one who's going to bring it to fruition. And then, just in case that didn't help, he does this amazing thing by making sure they know and therefore we know who we're dealing with. If you were to do a quick count in verses 6 through 9, you would see in those four verses he refers to himself five times as the Lord Almighty. That's huge. Because what he wanted them to see is as they've got this huge task in front of them, it's actually him who's carrying out the task. He's doing these things, and he is the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty. He's wanting to get their attention, and he's wanting to get our attention. Maybe uh, some of you have had the uh, privilege of trying to take a picture of a large group of people, especially when there's little kids involved. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's not like you can just say, say cheese, click. No, when there's kids, you have to 
basically make a fool of yourself and say, hey, kids, look over here. Everybody look at me. You know, when we do this, we go up to Minnesota and my kids and, and my sister's kids, you know, I'll get together and sit on the fireplace and Hannah's there holding the picture or holding the camera and I'm back there going, blah, 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 hey, hey, look over here. No, a smile, buddy. Hey, look, look, look. And you're basically just doing everything you can to get their attention focused on you so that when they finally look, boom, beautiful picture. And right here, God is saying, hey, 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 look, 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 look. Look at me. Look at me. When you think about your future, you look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And as we all turn our faces to him, boom. Beautiful picture of the fact that our future is not in our hands. It is in the hands of the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. Which should bring a tremendous amount of comfort to us because who would you want your future who, who do you want your future in the hands of? You, me, who's a sinner, who's prone to fail, or the Lord Almighty, this creator and sustainer of all things who cannot fail? So not only do we need to remember that God is the Lord of our past, and so when we think about our past, it's got to be in light of who God is and what he's always been doing. Uh, and we not only think of that, but also God is the Lord of our future. When we think about our future, either as a church or as individuals, we've got to remember God is the main character and he's the one bringing his plan to fruition. But he's also the Lord of the present. God is the Lord of us right now, calling the shots, telling us what we can do, what we're supposed to be doing. And what's so beautiful about this is he also wants us to, to think about the present and remember that we're not the main character of the present either. God is the main character of the present. And so what did he say to the Israelites? What was the present thing for them to do? It's amazing. He tells them to be strong. And then he basically wants them to do one thing and not do another. One thing and not do another. The thing he wants them to do in verse four, we see is work. Be strong. All you people of the land declares the Lord and work one thing. And then we see in verse five that the one thing he does not want us to do at the end of verse five is fear. He says, do not fear. And so what he's saying is don't worry work. Don't worry, work. So the question then is, well, what was the work then? And what is the work now? The work then, as we've seen, is that they would build the temple, that they would build the place on earth that God would dwell. What is our work? To build the temple. To build the place on earth where God will dwell. Let me show you what I mean. You see, what's amazing is the New Testament authors show us the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament. It was to be a picture. It was to be an example. It was to be a type. It was to be a shadow of the true temple, the real place where God dwells with human beings. And the beauty is it's not so much of a place as it is a person. Jesus Christ is the true and better temple. And he tells us that in John 2, 19 through 22, he says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And the Pharisees thought he was talking about the actual temple. 
But John tells us he was talking about himself. And what's so amazing here is that Jesus Christ, we celebrate his birth at Christmas time. He came to be born, to be built up into a man so that he could be destroyed on the cross. And then rebuilt or resurrected. But not alone. The difference is after the resurrection, as the Construction of the new temple is being built. The temple includes people. Jesus and his church is the new temple. God dwells not only in Christ, but in us right now. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the new temple, the most important piece, the piece on which it stands or falls. That's who Christ is. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, that the disciples, you and me, the followers of Christ, we are the stones in this temple. And what that means is God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in the bodies of believers. What that means is it would be wrong to say that we're in the house of the Lord this morning. It would be right to say we are the house of the Lord. God is here on earth in you and in me. And so the task that he's giving us is to work as well. Because he shocked the nations with the cross so that you and I could be brought in. This is the connection that we have to see here. Uh, In the Haggai 2, it talks about he will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come. Do you know who that is? You know what the desire, do you know what the things that God wanted, the treasures of all the nations? It's you and it's me. We're the desired of all nations. We're the things that God wanted from all the nations. And we see that because Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. And so, God is basically telling us in the Great Commission, he's saying, build me the biggest temple you can. And the way you do that is by telling people that Jesus is the true and better temple who was destroyed so that their sin could be destroyed with him and that he was resurrected so that we could be brought in and God could dwell in us on earth. And the more people that put their faith in Christ, in one sense you could say the more God is present here on earth. So we are, just like them, building the temple. Here's the thing. I think we have a tendency to sort of think that making disciples is part of uh, what we're supposed to do. We want to do this. We've got to take care of that. We've got to make sure we're at this place and all these things. And Oh, somewhere in my schedule, I've got to make disciples. And there's this amazing thing that what, what we're seeing here is in the same way that God said to the people in the Old Testament, don't worry, work. He's saying to us, don't worry, work. And he's helping us see that we really can focus on one thing, making disciples. And as we focus on making disciples, he's going to work other things out. In fact, what he's saying is the more we're focused on making disciples, we're not going to worry quite as much. And we know that he's saying the same thing now as he said then because of a verse like Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And we're just going to look at uh, verse 25 and 33 for sake of time. But in the New Testament, God says the same thing to his people. Christ says to us, don't worry, work. Look at this. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. In other words, 
Don't worry about your life and your health and food and clothing and stuff like that. He said, instead, don't worry. He says, work, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that amazing? That as we think about all these things we got to be doing, all these things we got to be juggling and all the uncertainty that that brings in. And God says, really, what I want you to focus on is your work. And that is in building the temple. I want you to focus on making disciples. You focus on the one thing and you'll find that I will work other things out for you and you will worry a lot less. He's saying, listen, you focus on doing what I want you to do. You focus on going and getting me the things from the nations that I want. And that's people. You go and focus on making disciples of all nations and I will work things out for you. I mean, could that be true? Could it be that we don't have to figure everything else out? We can just sort of laser focused on on making disciples, proclaiming the gospel, demonstrating the gospel. And he'll take care of the rest. Is that possible? Because it looks to me like that's what he's saying. And he's not just saying that he knows it's not going to be easy. And so he tells us then, just like he tells us in the Great Commission, that he is with us in our passage today. He says that he has promised that his spirit remains among us. He is with us. And in the Great Commission, the end of the commission is that surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We know that he is with us. And not only that, not only is he with us to give us power, is his spirit giving us power to focus on this. He's also promised an amazing thing. He's promised that when the temple is complete, in other words, when the church is complete, in other words, when disciples have been made of all nations, the end will come and there will be peace. Look at verse 9, the last part. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So imagine that. Guaranteed, one of the things that will not exist when the new temple is fully built and all the disciples from the nations have been brought in, one thing that will not exist is uncertainty. And therefore, worry. You and I who believe will never, ever, ever, ever worry ever again. So if any of you are here today and you have not put your faith in Christ and chosen to live the life of a disciple, I want you to realize that what Jesus is telling you, he's calling out to you and saying, listen, I was destroyed so you don't have to be destroyed. He's saying, I was destroyed so that being rebuilt, I could bring you in and God could dwell in you spiritually now and dwell with you physically in the end. And so to the non-believers, I would say, it is time for you to come into the true and better temple. The one who has died, been destroyed to pay for your sin. And to the believers, good news. We got to work on one thing. And as we do that, we're going to worry less about the other things in life. Because the best weapon against worry is working at what we're supposed to be doing, which is building the temple. And we can be focused on the fact that God the Father wants people from all the nations. Christ the Lord has earned people from all the nations through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is out seeking people from all the nations through you and through me. So to the believers, I say, let's get to work. Let's build. Let's go get our Father what he wants from the nations. Let's make disciples and let's pray. Father, we uh, 
are humbled by the fact that you would send your son to be the true and better temple to be destroyed and to take our sin with him so that the rebuilding efforts could include us. We are the desired of all nations. How humbling and how gracious uh, you are, how, or how, humble, how humbled we are and how gracious you truly are. Uh, be with us and give us strength. Give us your Holy Spirit. Help us to focus on the work that you've called us to and really help us to feel the worry go away as, remem- as we remember that you are the Lord of our past, the Lord of our future, and even the Lord of our present right now. Help us to work. Help us not to worry for the glory of your Son and for the nations we pray. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.